This is the Big Interview Highlights Show, where we look back on all our work over the first year and pick out a theme and clips from our guests to support that theme. Music and football. What else is there in life? No, don't answer that. Your mum might be listening. Like football, music makes the world a happier place, a safer place too. One day it's inevitable that it'll replace Trident. It was also inevitable, essential even, that the big interview would touch on music again and again. When we pulled together all the sections from the first season of the big interviews, it turned out there was a huge amount of material about music or singing, rock and roll, so much so that we decided to break it up into three sections. This first part is themed around karaoke, the K-word. One of my great passions in life, and if it's not in yours, fill that hole. So here we have Chrissy Waddle and Eddie Howe on their karaoke favourites. And Harry Redknapp, without Barney the dog, telling tales of Herman Ryderson in an Elvis suit. The last time you and I were together, we shared a beer mm. in Kiev. Yeah. It was just after the final of 2012. We'd seen Spain-Italy, wonderful game, 4-0. But what was still echoing about in my mind that day was something that I think you share a, a, a passion for because the night before the final, I'd been out with the son of Ozzy, Federico. And Federico and Adam, our cameraman and I, had been to a Queen concert live in the streets of Kiev. And we found this karaoke bar. Karaoke bar where it's a restaurant, you sit down, you have your meal, you get called up, you sing. And if you're doing well, the waitresses will join in with you. And the lads will tell you that if there's anything more passionate about than football, it's karaoke and singing. <laughs> if we fixed up in Tokyo or back in Kiev, what would be your all-time top three choices of songs to perform if I handed you the microphone and said, you're on? Well, when I do karaoke, which basically when you've said when you've had a beer, that's when you tend to want to do a karaoke. Usually. Yeah, without the, without the beer, I don't think I'd ever do a karaoke, to be honest. When I was growing up, I was a big jam fan. Yeah. So I followed the jam around a lot. So I'd have to put one of their songs in. Out all the songs, probably, I'd have a bash it. It would probably be something like Eating Rifles or Going Underground or Strange Town. Uh, we sung classic jam, jam song. Um, the one I've done probably the most, if I was honest, that people say when you get up to karaoke, you've got to do a song. It's either Mr. Brightside, oh. which I absolutely kill, and... Um, <laughs> I've got to say the other one I do, I used to do more of, was Rebel Yell by Billy Idol. I don't know why I ever picked that song. I, Billy Idol, I like some of his stuff, don't get me wrong, but I got up one day and sang it and somebody went, eh, that sounded good. And I thought, are they taking the Michael? Or is, is it? And I thought, right. So I took it on board. So every time I sung a karaoke, they used to say, what are you going to sing? And I used to think, Rebel Yell. I must kill it as well, but... Um, that's yeah, one probably the three songs. I'd, if I had to name the three to get up, that would probably be the three. You, you wake up after a rebel yell night with a very sore throat the next morning. You do, but um, it's just, I don't know. I don't know why I picked that song originally and why I ended up doing it, but I would probably say all oh, the karaoke I've done all my life, I would say rebel yell, probably the most I've done. I grew up fascinated by the BBC television centre and the politics and the backbiting of how Top of the Pops was run. What is Top of the Pops like? The, the, the build-up, the bar, the commissioners, the, the, the director was a real Hitler, wasn't he, about, like, stand there, yeah. do this, shut up. Yeah, we, we uh, me and Glenn went on in 87, and it was the most nerve-wracking thing I've ever done. And that even talks about the penalty miss, Germany, finals, FA Cups, Champions League final, Marseille. 
any type of football I've played can't compare to Top of the Pops. On the day, I missed the dress rehearsal because I was doing an interview somewhere else in London. Then I arrived, I had one rehearsal, and then basically that was it, went on. I always remember that, I remember it really well. And then my Gary Davis was the guy introducing it. He was stood on some scaffolding above her, high up, and the cameras looked at us, then it was zoomed to him, and he went, introducing now at number 11, two guys who are known in the football, or cut it in the music business, it could be the new Wham! <laughs> we just looked at us as if to think, are you real or what? Anyway, then we did it, and then at the finish, the Sunday papers, that was a Thursday, the Sunday papers had a field day called with a new spam, everything they wanted. But to us, it was a nerve-wracking, and I always remember I was on Terence Trent Derby, yeah, yeah. five-star. They were all very complimentary, come up junior, I was on with Kim Whale at the duet they did. And uh, they all come up and said, listen, hey, good on you, it sounds all right, and, you know, fair play, it's good, you know, wish you well. Uh, we were like, are they taking the mic a lot? Are they being serious? And they were fine, you know. Anyway, and the only bloke we basically hammered with, who was on that night, was um, Smith Morrissey. Oh, did he? He's like, he was like, rubbish shouldn't be here. <laughs> he's a footballer. Cheers, mate. Yeah, we were like, well, yeah, fair enough. I don't understand where he's coming from. <laughs> you know, everybody was going, all right, how are you? And he was like, so, you know, um, we were never going to be every cup of tea. I mean, how it all happened, that was just chance of... Sitting there having a few beers, getting up like a carry. It was a group who got up, Wayne Glenn up, sang at this presentation night. And my mate said, Oh, it sounded all right, that. I've got a bloke in the music business. Next thing we're in a house, next we're in a studio, next thing it's it's cut. But it's singing is, is fantastic, isn't it? The actual act of singing is oh, it makes I, you I, happy, I, doesn't it? Gives oh, you endorphins. Yeah. Well, I've been in music, Glenn likes his music. I know Glenn like the, you know, big fan of the Eagles and too. Mm-hmm. I would tell I like the Eagles, but they want my cup of tea as no. such. You know, I, I can listen to Eagles, I was wrong, but um, he liked his music, I liked my music, and, uh, and it was one of them, as it started prog- progressing down the line, we thought, I thought, you know what, I'm not bothered if people take the mic out, but I just thought, exactly. I, love, I love music, and whether it's a flop, whether it's a hit, whether whatever it is, it's a chance when you get older, you look back and think, I could have I could have made a, mu- a single or a whatever it was, uh, we could have done that, and I thought, you know what, it's worth doing, and it, people still talk about it today, right? It was 1987, that, and people still talk. Wherever I go in the country, somebody will shout some question, and nine times out of ten, the question is, you're not singing Diamond Lights today, are you? 1987, that people still remember that record, which is unbelievable when I look back. You had another big hit, World in Motion, mm. but the, why weren't you in the video? We weren't back no, no, I was in it. France. So they wouldn't let you come to film it? No. What happened with that was, they, I came from France, and we in the hotel at Burnham Beaches, and... They came in and they said, we're doing a World Cup song, and everybody went, oh, not another one. That type of thing. And then they said, um, we're looking for some volunteers, New Order's doing it. So me, Gaza, Peter Beardsley, Steve McMahon, John Barnes, I think it was five work, went, yeah, we'll come. So it wasn't far where we were cutting it. And we got in the car and we, we drove down to this, it was like a house with a studio in it. And uh, Lars was there. He was uh, Keith Allen, the actor. And he was brilliant. He was like there and he got to go and got a few beers. And all we had to basically shout was, England. Barnsley obviously did the rap bit, but all, also, all I wanted us for was just to keep going, England. So we thought, yeah, well, it's a day out. Get away from the hotel, a few beers. We had, we had a great laugh, great doing it. To be fair, when you drove away and we went back, we thought nothing of it. We thought, yeah, it was a good day, that. And obviously, listen, depending on how the team do, depending on how the record did. And because we started going through the tournament, all of a sudden people think, quarterfinals, hmm. semifinals. The song got played more, people were buying it more. The video, it was basically, was an after event, which what they said was, we're going to use footage of England playing. 
but the actual video of, you know, the jumping around bit, I wasn't there. And all I said was, look, you know, see how it goes. And I always remember when we got back from the World Cup and I went, I had another year more say. And when I came home, about a year later, more, whatever, I, was, I think it was my first season here. It's Sheffield Wednesday, yeah. And then got a knock on the door and bloke gave us this big parcel. And I thought, what's that? He went, I don't know, it's delivery thing. So I opened it up and it was a, a gold disc. <laughs> because you sing on it, you're entitled to the gold disc. Even though you're only showing England, you got a gold disc. So you thought, I didn't get my diamond lights, but at least I got one eventually for, um, for with the England song. That was my dream, to go to Goodison as a kid. Never got there um, until later in life. But what we would do is follow them when they went to Watford, uh-huh. when they went to the London clubs, when they used to go to Southampton. That was my way of following Portsmouth, etc. Away end? Yeah, yeah, away end, yeah. Singing? No, I've never been much of a singer. Even when I go to musical concerts, no, I'll sit and watch, but I don't get vocally involved. I don't know why, but that's just my personality. There may be a fantastic voice waiting. <laughs> I can assure you there's not. I have done karaoke. I can assure you that there's no voice there. And we're moving into overdrive now. <laughs> Let's talk karaoke. <laughs> Isn't it utterly fantastic? Doesn't it leave your troubles behind? And he said, imposing his views to an exceptional human being who's a successful Premier League manager. You're only ever singing for yourself, not the audience. I can assure you that me and karaoke probably have more in common than you think. I, I do actually quite like a... I oh, gee, I don't know if I should say this. I do actually like to, to sing. You did, I, I do actually I, I'm like obsessed. I find it... He, he's laughing because wherever we go in the world, I've had them <laughs> after gigs that we set on, we're three or four hundred people come there, and we've tramped round European cities for two or three hours <laughs> to find an open karaoke bar. I almost stormed out of Euro 2012 covering Spain for UEFA because in Poland, karaoke doesn't exist. Right. I was appalled because the stress relief, how much better you feel about the world if you sing... It's fantastic. It yeah. should be obligatory. It's a nice feeling, and it's something that uh, I would only do in a very uh, small audience, usually just me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because uh, I can assure you I'm not good, but, yeah, I think there's something nice about... Well, let, me, let me do two things to try and back you up here, because I put you in... I'm not deliberately put you in an uncomfortable moment there, but Chrissy Wardle, didn't he? Chrissy, Chris told us that. I mean, he's a guy who said, I'm shy. I don't particularly like going out in the town, but he said... I do like a bit of karaoke. And he, he said that his, his three staples were the jam, a strange town, Billy Idol, Rebel Yell, and, and to be fair, Chris, I forget the other one. And as an Everton fan, I'll share with you that I sung with, I don't know if Adrian Heath was yeah. before. It. So Inchi and I sung after the, after the European final at that Espanyol played. And if there's anybody in Everton's history who can sing better than Adrian, I'll be surprised because he is Frank Snatcher reincarnated. Well... When you're singing in your one-man karaoke booth, what would be the choices of songs? Yeah, I'm not doing my credibility any good here. <laughs> it's not about credibility, this it's about is, honesty. This is going to kill me. Um, <laughs> now, I will sing uh, Aha, which, if you've heard Morton Harkett sing oh. and you, you've heard his range, that is not the type of thing, if you can't sing, that you want to follow, but I, I do my very best. Very different. In fact, you can't. I can't get near his range. I can't even no. begin to try. But it's it's fun having a go. Now. He's Norwegian. Do, do Norwegians yodel, or is that the Swiss? Well, I don't know. He can do most things with his voice. He's got an incredible, as I say, incredible range. But um, no, you know, I enjoy that. Well, let's talk about happier times because it's about the the, the enjoyment that football can give you, as well as the, the bitter nights where you can't believe what's going wrong. 
tell me why one night you were in a karaoke bar with Herman Ryderson dressed as Elvis Presley. Oh, that was cup final. Uh, when we got to Wembley with Portsmouth, we stayed in a hotel up in uh, Henley-on-Thames or somewhere around that area. So I took the lads, I booked up an Italian restaurant, they had a karaoke. We asked him if they had a karaoke, got a karaoke in for us. And Herman bought his Elvis outfit, and he was fantastic Elvis. He couldn't sing, but he had all the moves, had all the gear. He had a great outfit as well. Wait, did um, he happen to just have it handy, or did he go out and No, he it? bought it with him, he bought his gear, he, had it, he has it, he goes out. He lived around here, Herman, he lived up the road here. Yeah. And I'd often, you go into restaurants some nights, and you hear Herman and his wife, they used to sing. And all his friends, they talk about enjoying themselves. They would sing, every restaurant they went in, all end up, always end up singing. So Herman's got his Elvis outfit, the great big, the real, the white one with all the gold and all the everything, you know, and he, he got up and done his Elvis. It was brilliant, the lads, we laughed. You never stop laughing. Music's a part of football culture. Always has been, always will be. Here we've got Jimmy Carragher and Johnny Cash and the Anfield rap. Paul Clement turning down Carlo Ancelotti's Lionel Richie CD and Michael O'Neill recounting the occasion that Snow Patrol's Gary Lightbody visited the Northern Ireland training camp and helped them to European glory. I want to start with a little bit of trivia. Right, I've got a scratch that I've never itched. <laughs> Liverpool and Ring of Fire. Oh, OK. Why? <laughs> I really want to know. I broke my leg in 2003, and so on an away game, I went on a coach with my dad and friends who went on a away game from a pub in, in Kirby called the Fantail. And, you know, they'd go home and away everywhere. And they passed the time, a tape would go in, and there was fans of uh, Johnny Cash. And they used to sing it on the coach. And then it, how? I don't know where it is. That's where I first heard it. And then it just fired itself coming into the stadium and in the ground on that Champions League run 2005. And I think it may have been Leverkusen away. I think we're the first time it sort of originated. And my dad and a few others try and take the credit, I think. He were, uh, used to go on that coach, the fan tail coach from Kirby. But uh, that's the first time I heard it. I didn't know it was just the lads on the coach liked it, but how it got sort of to be this theme tune that you associate now with 2005 and a song that still gets sung now, especially on away games or they play it before the game at Anfield, just, just went from there, Johnny Cash, so... I think the credit should go to uh, the lads on that bus from the Kirby. But you'll never, none of us, will ever be able to hear that again without the hair in the back of your neck standing up. It will just transport you back to, I think, maybe you and Stevie with your yeah, arms around yeah. each other in front of a camera with scars wrapped and the cup's been lifted. It's iconic. It's like a where were you moment when you hear that song. I can't listen to it anymore. Yeah, I mean, that, that pitch that we've got, that's, I think, the iconic pitch for both of us. Kissing the European Cup, singing along to that. And it's not even the words, it's uh, about the words, just sing along to the tune. And I think we'd have moments like that when something special happens, like Istanbul. There's lots of quirky things that people will remember on the journey. It's not just the games, it, there's loads of little things. And I think that was part of it. You know, the song, that was part of it. I mean, in the past, clubs have had the FA Cup final, they sing a song, don't they? Or something that gets linked to it. That was, uh, but that was the one and only Johnny Cash. You've reminded me, I didn't think, but we all go in the cup. With Daddy, yeah, how we all exactly. do. What, what impact does music, or the right music, or atmospheric or unifying music, what impact does it have on a mood, a squad, a dressing room? I ask you that because there was a stage in 2008-9 when, for some reason, Pep Guardiola insisted that they played a cold play 
Viva la vida. Yeah, whatever. yeah, yeah. And it caught like Ring of Fire. And even the players who didn't like it, it then became not just a superstition, it was something that unified. And then they put it on in Rome. And I don't know how they'd arranged it. And it's booming out over the speakers in Rome and they've just beaten Manchester United, whatever. And it felt more than just like, oh, there's a song that we all know it. What does the right music do in a dressing room or in a season or... Well, well, the music in a dressing room, I was, even though I was a senior professional, they, they say they normally sorted the music out, but music for me, I never sorted that out. But what I do remember, even as a kid, I was an Everton fan. I can remember the songs I sang as an Everton fan in the mid-80s. I remember then sort of watching Liverpool teams as I was just getting in, and the songs you used to sing, and the, the songs you'd associate with at a certain time, like... You know, the great John Barnes, you think of the Anfield rap, you think of, you know, John Barnes and the, the world in motion. As a kid, I, I, I still think of the, the songs the other day. I think Everton's FA Cup song was Here We Go. But I always remember, at the time, Everton and Liverpool wanted to win the league one year. And the song Everton's used to always, hand it over, hand it, hand it over, Liverpool. So you'd be like... So as much as the football, you remember those sort of... I remember football being on the terraces songs rather than being in the dressing room if I'm being honest I was never a massive music fan about that band or that yeah, artist yeah. it was more the songs I sort of sang on the terraces you see I know you grew up a blue but when you grew up at a distance and I grew up in the 60s the thing that you taught was that singing from the court was witty mm. a pop song would come they'd take it they'd adapt yeah, it yeah. or they'd have their own songs and there was real wit now I don't want to go down the negative route because one of the things that soured football is what modern kids sing to mm. abuse people but there used to be football, music, singing and wet used to be absolutely knitted in, particularly in your city. I think Liverpool fans, especially with the cop and I think where you never walk alone come from, I think it was, I think it was right in the 50s and 60s, used to basically play the, the top 10 in the charts or the top 20 before the game and I think they maybe picked up on that song, I think, that a famous one, I think they sang to, I think Gary Sprake, was it? Careless Hands, was it? Uh, to <laughs> Leeds keeper. Yeah. Did he throw one in? Yeah, well, maybe cost him the title. Or? Yeah, exactly. Things like that. So, I mean, fortunate that the city you're from, you have that. So that was, I think, a famous one that we feared in the past. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. players had a certain set of music that was played regularly throughout the season so the CD went on it was also about enjoying the experience of taking the journey that's what I was asking about because yeah. on the streets I mean it was it was fantastic and very unique that basically almost the whole of Madrid had you know camped themselves in Lisbon for the day so the the mixture of the the white shirts with the red and white of Atletico mixing together the fan zone and then the approach to the, the stadium was really quite special. 
and getting to the stadium, one of the great things has been like turning that music off. Okay, you know, players' music is usually crap. <laughs> was there anything that was any good in no, that? No, there was. To be fair, there was. It was. A, it was quite any Stone Roses, nice any Well. No, 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 no. no, no There's some good tunes. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'll take. I'll take that on trust. Some, yeah, some Latin music, some of the Spanish songs. It was. The songs were quite. Did you have one on there? No, you no, no. There was none of mine. Carlo no. always tried to get his playlist on, but <laughs> what would you put on? Oh, God. Sinatra. Yeah, I'd like love songs. I've been singing a lot. That was a You can't play these, Carlo. What reunited peaches and herb or what? <laughs> that kind of lovey dovey stuff. <laughs> no, you'd have Lionel Richie on the job. Carlo, you can't put that. On. Oh, hello. The Gary Lightbody one was a good because. He's a huge Northern Ireland. Snow fan. Patrol. Yes, yeah, Let's say for Emery doesn't know. He doesn't know. Counted I, man. I, I, I'm not a huge music fan, but he got him. We got him and he says, listen, we have to get him to sing. Yeah. We weren't sure whether he, he would sing on his own. I didn't know whether he could sing acoustically, just or whether, you know, it's, you've obviously seen him with the band. But he came in and he did a wee bit. We, he, he, we put him in the warm up and then he did a bit of crossing and finishing towards the end with the lads. <laughs> yeah, he and he doesn't look like a footballer, to be fair. But he made his day. It, yeah, really, it was the Northern Ireland manager <laughs> who said that, not me. And uh, he was uh, just a really good lad. Just again, so you go, and the reaction of the players to him, he sang for us. The lads were all videoing it on their phones. And, and, and I just think it's nice to sort of. He actually says, guys, you have no idea what it will mean if we can qualify. And when, when people like that say it, it, it resonates so much more, I think, as well, you know. Now, I thought I was a bit enthusiastic about music, but you have to search long and hard to find two footballers who love music more than Guy Scamendietta and Terry Butcher. These two are super serious about their tunes, and they have contrasting tastes. Listen up for Guy's Castell of meeting Lou Reed, one of the moments in the entire series that made me most jealous. And Big Terry Butcher talking about singing on stage with Iron Maiden. It didn't go fantastically at the end in, in Barra, but you said you were happy to be there. You helped them get to a European final, although you couldn't play in at yeah. the end. It was part of the reason of coming to Britain that you already liked our culture, but you liked our music. I mean, I'm not saying you signed for music. That would be stupid. Mm. But when you think about, will I go to the Premier League? Will I go to Middlesbrough? How's the money? Can I get out of Rome, please? Was it in the back of your mind that you could start to live a life that had more of the music you loved in it? Or was that did that only come after 2008? No, well, it's the reasons coming. That This might sound stupid for some people. When I obviously was in Spain... I used to come to London whenever I get a chance, buy records. I went on holiday to Scotland, the Highlands. I did all that drive around and blah, blah. Of course. Of course. <laughs> so I, it's a country that I always liked, that I always loved. Yeah. And, and, and the music, obviously, is the big thing for me, uh, but also the character of the people. In those days, you could only watch one game of the Premier League in Spain, Saturday, 3 o'clock. And for as much as I love my sister, I used to watch them. So I, I, I love, a, a lot of things loved about, about the country. Mm-hmm. And I knew well that I want, eventually I wanted to play in the Premier League. How that would be, how that happened, when, I didn't know. So when the, the, the opportunity came along to Middlesbrough, I, I completely reset and, and changed my, my approach to the game and, and everything. So in a way, yeah, it was coming to a place where I always loved, with the music 
yeah, it was important, which I knew I could watch so many concerts. And, mm. and, and which, we're not kidding, that ability to go and watch live, good music live, the type of music or bands or individuals you like, that was that's a mm. really big part of your life, isn't it? It is, because, and you know me now, and you know, in my whole career, football was very important, but I had always more things, you know, in my life were, were other things, like music, family, friends, and, and culture and other stuff. So when, when, when the football was was finished i had more more things to do my records my concerts uh traveling everything was easier for for to be there i like the words you've used there because you used the word records and we're we're into added time here ne- nearly into added time i did a, i did a film shoot recently a couple of years ago at arsenal's training ground with with santi cathorla who you know is a gem <laughs> a gem of a guy yeah. uh, abu diaby mm-hmm. and young jenkinson Fantastic fella, lovely fella, now at West Ham. And to make the, because you've been involved in filming, to make the um, little video interesting, there was a box of fake records, vinyl, with their faces and nice titles in the front, and they had to look through and they had to say, hey, uh, the Santi Casola one is not mine for Abu Dhabi, there's Abbott to take it out and look at it. And they did it, they acted it beautifully, it looked really good, the graphics on the LPs, it was like faded kind of swinging London 1960s faded pastel colour shapes and Burt Bacharach squares and guys just smiling because he knows exactly what I mean and most people have no idea what I'm talking about but he does and at the end of the shoot I said to the guys I said "Um, do you know what these are? none of them had ever seen vinyl before none of them had ever seen records before (laughs) they were like nope (laughs) I think they thought they were seriously they thought they were frisbees the boys haven't lived now you use the word record. You're an in-demand DJ. You take your skill and you use it all around Europe. I don't know if there's any gigs coming up that you want to talk mm-hmm. about. You're also a socio, a shareholder in, in Iberica's chain of, yeah. chain of restaurants, mm-hmm. which are in Manchester as well as in it's London. One. We're in London now yeah. when we're talking. There's four or five around four, London. Yeah. You eat beautifully. Because yeah. not everybody does Spanish cuisine well and wine well outside Spain, but they do. Absolutely. You do. Couldn't say it better. Rather than talk only about your gigs, what's the music you recur to most often? What do you reach for most often? At home, in the car? Who, who's the band, the man, the girl, the, the voice, the style that draws you back most often? Because I know that your taste goes right mm, across all music. Yeah. It's mostly in planes. In planes is where I do my playlists. When I'm at home, obviously, Wi-Fi, where I think... That's where I, I, I put a lot of songs and, 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 and save playlists and, and listen a lot of music when I'm home or in the car, car as, or train or traveling. And then on planes is where you have no other choice. You, you, that's where I do my playlist. And, and I, I like to, at home I listen to a lot of stuff, and new, new, new bands, because more or less, without sounding pretentious, the songs that I play for the old times, I've got them already in, in CDs or, or like label to whenever I check the, the vinyls. They're more or less the songs that I normally play, but it's more the new music that I, so many that I like to be more or less up to date. So that's the music that I do more on playlists and and and, and all songs. Who yeah, controls you? Which artist calls well, for me, to you? In all, which mood as well? Which mood? Yeah, well, that's what, that's what I about to say. It depends uh, which mood you are. Sometimes you hyper, you get Motown, soul. Sometimes you feel like blues and and, and a bit of a more more like moody moody music. For me, it all started. I'm more of a, a USA music fan than than UK. That's that's where I started listening to music. The Doors, Lou Reed, The Underground, 
that's why I started. And from there, Sonic Youth, I, I think all started there, all, all with, with Velvet. I think Velvet branches spread yeah. wide and, and, very, and, very, and very long. And sometimes I listen to new bands and, and always thinking, well, that's nothing new. There's something that I've already heard. And, and, and usually not as well as Lou did. Well, no, I, mean, I think Lou, we spoke earlier about Crave, but I think Lou really changed, changed the direction of, of music. This is just completely nuts. <laughs> We've never rehearsed this. I wrote an ESPN oh, column. When Lou, when Lou Reed died, yeah. I said, We've lost the Cruyff of music. The guy who, right. who risks, who goes against the tide, who scares people, who does things that you haven't imagined. And to me, and I, I felt, I didn't feel stupid and alone. But when you write and you're passionate, you have mm. to take risks. Of course, yeah. And I kind of thought to myself, if, if one person out there gets this, then it was worth writing. And I've got a really good editor. Hi, James, at ESPN, who's a massive music fan. And I love that. I mean, Lou, nobody would say Lou Reed was in any way a perfect man. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. He had his... Um, like but it, nor am I, you know. I've... No one else. But he did take the risk and push the boundaries to new, new, new things. And you listen to it today. Oh, I do listen to it. And it could have been written... You know, it could have been written. It doesn't sound no. 40 years old. Well, not, not, no even, not, not just the music, I think the lyrics. To get bands nowadays that have lyrics yeah. like they did back in the days, probably, no, I'm sure, because they had a lot more to say than we do nowadays. I think nowadays, in, in terms of society, there's not many things we could argue or talk about. In those days, there, there were strong things going on worldwide. And uh, and, I, and I think that that's why they, this poetry, that's why they, they've done books about it, uh, Jim Morrison, not as good as, as him, but all these things, it's timeless. You could listen over and over, like you say. Now, in 20 years, it still be nothing. I know, I don't, I know that doesn't happen in England because the, the music culture is, is massive, it's huge, and everyone or most people know where everything comes from. Like, if you like a band nowadays, you know it sounds like the Ramones or it sounds like uh, any other. Maybe in other, in other places... They only focus on the new things. They, they don't. Some people don't track back what, what things come from, and they're having a big miss because they're as good, if not better, than than the bands now. Well, I loved what you said when the Velvets, the you know, the strands lead you, and that's the path I like going down. When you say, "Okay, who produced that? What else did they produce? Yeah. Um, who co-wrote?" And I, I mean, this is, now I'm talking because my knowledge isn't as good as yours, <laughs> and I just follow my passion. Mm. But when I found out, I think. Um, John Lennon sang in sessions with, with Bowie, maybe on Young Americans or Golden mm. Years. I think to myself, the guy from the band that probably inspired me most when I was a kid is in that studio, backing vocals, just doing backing vocals, or, or McCartney and Lennon dropped by to sing backing vocals for Rainbow with, in the Stones mm. or something. You're yeah. like, what I would give... You know, if you were given the gift of time travel, you should probably go back and, I don't know, avoid war, invent medicine earlier. And, you know, I'd go to those, I'd go to go concerts. Straight to those <laughs> sessions and yeah. just sit there going, oh. <laughs> it's, it's pathetic, but I, I was would. lucky to, to get to meet uh, Lurid once. No. Yeah, when he played, they played in Valencia one summer. And a friend of mine used to do the, the website for him in Spain. And, and, and he was the president of the Lurid fans. So when he came... Obviously, he invited him. He was very good in that way. So he, he tell he tell us, well, we were three. Come with me after the concert. We might be lucky and get to know him. We were like on the clock waiting in the door. I'm there. Yeah, I'm there. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, come in. We come in. It was like a big terrace between the, the caravans. 
tables, and, and all of a sudden, it really comes out. Shorts, like a hippish t-shirt, like, you know, nothing was bothering him, glass of wine, and we start to talk. Music, he, he's a big fan of, of all the, the, the soul and all that time when he started uh, to, to work in the music. Sport, he was a big fan of Tai Chi, obviously. What you play? Is you soccer? Oh, soccer, oh, that's too physical. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, he was like, he knew about football, yeah. but uh, no, a big fan. His, his musician, which he was based in Barcelona, Fernando Saunders, he was a big fan. His song was a big fan of Barca, so the guy knew a little bit more. But it was a great, like I guess for most of us, when you are with there with someone that you admire for so many things and talking like he knew you forever, like you were friends, you know, like normally we talk to, to anyone. The question that I've got the privilege of asking you, which the world has always wanted to ask, and I think bugs you and asks you everywhere you go, what was your favourite heavy metal concert that you've ever been at? Good question. Yeah. I went to, um, after the 1990 World Cup, I went to the Playhouse in Edinburgh with Iron Maiden. And um, well, I met them backstage before, because I know them very well. Oh, really? And um, I then watched the concert and then ended up going on stage and uh, with the roadies and singing the number. <laughs> Heaven Can Wait, I think it was. No way. We went on there. Yeah, it was, it was just the one word of O. And we went, oh, oh, oh. And that's so we sang loads of that and then went off again quickly. And then went back uh, backstage afterwards and I presented Steve Harris, the bass guitarist, with one of my World Cup shirts from 1990. So I went to the, obviously living in Ipswich now, near Ipswich now, that was where the sort of the basis of heavy metal. I always liked heavy metal before, but Paul Mariner got me onto heavy metal big time, ah. and he introduced me to like Ian Gillan as well. Ah, and yeah, like this. classic. We, we we watched a lot of concerts together, me and Maris. And um, so, just which was up. a scene where where, where where it all began, really. Good groups would come and play here. Yeah, good groups would come. I mean, Hawkwind. I don't class them as a good group, but they came and Meatloaf, Saxon, Def Leppards, Kiss, oh. all these sort of groups they came, came along. Yeah, they all came along. It's well, it all part of the circuit of the British circuit. But so they came along, and it was normally packed and really, really good. So I got a good affinity with with Iron Maiden. Mark Avery is one of the one of the guys on the the management team. Not, not so much the concert, but I got invited after 1990. I got invited to go to Italy because they were launching one of their albums in Italy, and they were playing a football game because they all love the football. Yeah. Steve Harris is a is an Irons fan, a big West Ham fan. Um, there's two stories to this because the first one was they asked me to go to into Europe to play, so they flew me out and Neil Webb out because Neil was a heavy metal man as well and Maris and we were to play against Alto Bellies and Gentiles and all these people out there yes, um, in, a, in a sort of charity game yeah. so we ended up going out there and playing the game and uh, we won 7-1 it was unbelievable <laughs> I, I played against Alto Belli before yeah. in, in 1985 I think it was Italy, in, in Mexico in a friendly and um, it was nice to play against him again he hadn't put any weight on and things like this but the, the best thing in the game was I actually went down the back of an Italian player's Achilles tendon. Now that may sound a bit brutal, but it was it was heaven to me because I'd missed that. I hadn't been able to do that for years. <laughs> so it was by accident, but it felt good, I must say. And this this player had to be taken off, taken off which was even better. I mean, so the, the we, Iron Maiden boys are there, right? Well, they're going it. absolutely mad. Oh, so he loved it. Yeah, I thought it was one of the best things I'd ever seen. I just went right down the back of his Achilles, and I felt it as well. I was heavy like, metal studs. Oh, heavy metal studs. Yeah, <laughs> heavy metal thunder. Yeah. So that, that was the other one. And the one as well, they were launching another, another album and they, um, 
I got the invitation through Mark Avery to fly down to Stansted. And Mark, Steve uh, Harris, the basic guitar, lives near Stansted Airport. So flew down there. Maris was there as well, Neil Webb, as usual, usual boys. Um, he's got a, Steve Harris has got a recording studio in his grounds. He's got a pub in his grounds. And he's also got uh, a football pitch. So we ended up playing the football game in he's front of all these, all these black leather fans that were Iron Maiden people. Who, I think the dress of the day was black leather. So everybody was like, oh, all the, the long hair. You couldn't tell which were men or women because of the long hair. But anyway, <laughs> we played the game, and it was a great game of football. And I did something that I was always wanted to do in football, my football career. I've only done it once. And I did it that afternoon. I walked off the pitch into the bar of the pub with my football boots on and downed a pint of lager. <laughs> I've always wanted to do that. And it was just incredible. We had a great night. So it was, I've got a lot of good memories of the Iron Maiden. How much do you get in life that's completely free, reliable, regular, good for your sex life and free? Yeah, the big interview. All of these in their full form and many more are available if you search for The Big Interview on ACAST, that's A-C-A-S-T, iTunes, or usually wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Interview was the idea of Backpage, and it's produced by them. Thanks to Beer Jacket for the music. Keep up to date with everything that we're doing at grahamhunter.tv, where there's a little box where you fill in your email address, and if you sign up there, you'll get our newsletter, which includes the opportunity to put your questions to our guests. We're on Facebook, search for The Big Interview, and GH Podcast on Twitter, plus Instagram. Keep in touch, let us know what you think. More soon, baby.